0: Welcome to The Calm Down. This week, we're talking about part two of Satanic Panic that focused on satanic ritual abuse. My guest is American Hysteria's editor and producer Rod Rodriguez of Clear Como Studios. A US Army Reserve Intelligence officer, Rod also earned his master's in mental health counseling from Capella University in 2015. He surprised the hell out of me the other day by revealing his experience both growing up embroiled in his own hometown satanic scare and as a grad student studying traumatized children, learning hard lessons from the satanic ritual abuse investigations. We've already covered the panic, now here's the calm down. So I'm here talking to our editor and our soundscape extraordinaire, um The man kind of behind a lot of the vibe of American Hysteria, Rod Rodriguez. Hey, Rod, how you doing?
1: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, I'm so excited to talk to you. You, um, the other day had told me after uh, we were chatting on Sunday, as we usually do, kind of going over the final cut of the episode. And you kind of let me know how this one was particularly difficult for you, um, being an editor who has to listen to the episode over and over and over again and, and having to hear this kind of disturbing stuff over and over again. And I absolutely can relate to that and on my end with the research and writing of it it's kept me up many nights, so I'm happy it's behind me and you um but then you surprised me by letting me know that you yourself had a very in kind of intense satanic panic experience of your own growing up in the eighties in a small town in New Mexico, at least I think it was a small town. you mentioned growing up in a fundamentalist home as well, and uh you Just uh, I I had no idea that this was so close to home for you. And I was really hoping that you wouldn't mind sharing kind of your experience listening to kind of my take on the satanic panic as someone who did not live through it. And then also um, just what your experience was like, kind of the chain of events that happened in your town and what that looked like in your particular satanic panic.
1: Yeah, um, I, I will say that that this last episode was definitely. An interesting one, one of the more challenging ones. And it's like you said, you know, when you're hearing all these disturbing images about snakes and children and sacrifices, um, and you're trying to find the sound that goes for it, you just keep hearing the same dialogue over and over again. It it's um, it gets a little weird, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it gets really odd really fast. But uh, yeah, so when we were talking a little bit after the show was over. Uh this definitely brought me back to my childhood. I was uh we moved to New Mexico when I was about 5 or 6 in a little town called Alamogordo, which is right outside of Holloman Air Force Base. And there is nothing there. There is the Air Force Base, tiny town, and nothing all around except for White Sands Missile Range and a whole lot more desert and uh yeah it was during the 80s during that time period that i i remember the satanic panic like like vividly because you know like i told you we were in a fundamental i lived in a fundamentalist christian household where uh everything was satan you know he was everywhere uh we couldn't i couldn't watch television uh, certain sh- certain shows were off limits i couldn't watch he man um, because, you know, he put the sword up in the sky and he said, I have the power. And my parents were like, well, no, Jesus has the power. Right. Okay. I couldn't watch Thundercats because Mamra was summoning the forces of evil. The power. Yeah. I think it was the spirits of evil. Come to me. Uh, mm-hmm. that's satanic. I was like, oh my God. Even the Smurfs, the Smurfs yep. were satanic. <laughs>
0: and that was all from that one guy that we'd in the first part of the satanic panic, right? What was his name? Phil Phillips? Oof, That's right. That guy, that he guy
1: is. ruined a many childhood.
0: Yeah, he sure did.
1: <laughs> what a dick. I, I swear I'd yeah. kick this guy in the jimmy if I could, because I mean, he ruined a lot of cool stuff for us. Um,
0: yeah, hey, and I watched so many videos of him, and I just like, oh, he is just such a turd. I don't know what word it. Another word for him? He's just such a like tool. You know, he left
1: me with cartoons, like uh, Bible stories, and. Some ridiculous thing about a a robot that takes children into biblical adventures. But mind you, they're always the really nice adventures. They're never the adventures where it's like, oh, this is the part in the Bible where the children were eaten by a bear because they made fun of a guy having a bald spot. None of the cool stuff.
0: None of the cool stuff ever, I know. Or or it's the, like, hyper metal stuff, like the very fire and brimstone stuff to terrify you, which is cool, but then not really when you think it's real and you're a little kid who's terrified of the devil, I imagine.
1: They make the devil, and this is interesting uh, to me as an adult now, the devil was made to me to be as real as as anything else, it, the the devil was such a real thing to me that he was out there, some goat legged, horned man goat demon thing. <laughs> yeah, was out there and it wanted to get me. um It's I I mean I'm not who am I to tell people how to raise their children, but when you put this image in a child's head as this is the reason you shouldn't do bad things as opposed to don't do bad things cuz they're bad and bad people suck it's it's like this you you you're fearing this this horrible demon and the images and the the tortures the stories of what happens in hell and what happens to people when they disobey god or the demonic possessions I, I i told you like i I'm not, I'm not even kidding we i witnessed an exorcism a real exorcism when i was a child like who who lets kids see this <laughs> like it was
0: but you can't watch he man no God, i can't <laughs> but you can watch this exorcism all right <laughs> yeah
1: exactly so you know doing this episode um listening to the stories of these children who came up with and fabricated a lot of – and I hate to say fabricated because sometimes you think fabricated, you think there's some type of ill intent involved, and there wasn't. These children were fed. They were spoon-fed, the stories that they gave. Um,
0: And at least they were also spoon fed the idea that the stories should become more and more wild as well. So even though they were coming up with them, they weren't coming up with sort of the impetus to say them in the beginning. Absolutely. Right. Yes,
1: absolutely. And there were they were rewarded, Uh, as you mentioned in the show, they were rewarded for the more outlandish story. The more they were given treats, they were given attention uh they were given like i i you hit on them you hit it on the on the uh, the nail on the head there when you said they the most important gift they were given was to go home like oh my god if i tell you this crazy story you're going to let me leave so i can go be with my friends and hang out and do other stuff instead of being you know questioned by police about really gross and icky things that you know a child would interpret as gross and icky uh but when i was living in new mexico i specifically remember um, there was a bulletin board. So when you were checking out and you would leave, there was like this bulletin board with people with lost pets or you know, uh, looking for work or whatever. And there were these posters, these they looked like they were printed in someone's basement. And it said, uh, you know, Halloween is here. Keep your children safe. Uh, Satan worship is real. They're out to get you. And there was a phone number to call if you had anything to report about Satan worship. And then as a seven-year-old, you hear stories like you're hearing your parents chat and whisper about stuff. And they were talking about, oh, did you hear about the the bones they found up in the mountains? Did you hear about this cauldron they found with children's bodies in it? Oh, my God. And all these crazy stories. And as a kid, I'm like, holy crap, if my parents are talking about it, it's gotta be real
0: of course yes right
1: i'm a I'm a little person i'm a little child everything they say is truth including those things like oh my god there's there's cauldrons there's satan is in alamogordo new mexico and he wants to kill me
0: so what happened next
1: i you know i really think that we should let the listeners know that in the middle of this conversation where I'm talking about the devil and I'm talking about Satan worship and children, your computer just decided to kaputz. Yes. Um, Is there something, is there a deeper meaning to, I don't know. I have no (laughs) idea. I will leave that to our listeners to determine that. But
0: Yep, my computer was at 93% and turned off in the middle of our conversation about the devil, so...
1: I'm not Maybe saying it was Satan. Maybe you and
0: I are the fools
1: in this. I, I'm not saying it was Satan, but I'm also not going to say it wasn't it Satan. It wasn't so, Satan. Whatever.
0: Absolutely. So anyway, back to <laughs> – so uh, back, back to Alamogordo. To 80s New Mexico. Yes. yes.
1: There's nothing – nothing happened. And, and something that I – that you and I talked about, and I firmly believe this, I think that a lot of the satanic panic had to do with teenagers. I think that the teenagers of the time – we're listening to these adults who were these authority figures and they're freaking out about Satan and the devil. Um, and these kids more than likely took advantage of that. They were like, well, this freaks the adults out. I got something for you. You know, we're going to go do graffiti and we're going to put, you know, pentagrams and we're going to, um, you know, spray paint stuff and they left candles out. I don't think there was a child under the age of 18 in new mexico that had some tor- that had some sort of you know ancient grimoire of satanic spells and conjurations to you know even pretend that they were raising satan i think that a lot of the stuff was just kids messing with adults and that you know when you're knee deep in this world of satan and it's real to you you don't think about these kids or what it could be. You see pentagrams on the wall. Oh, my God. Those, those are Satan worshipers. You find red candles. Oh, my God. They're raising the devil. And it's panic. It's like it It becomes the very foundation of the show American hysteria. It just becomes hysteria.
0: It does. Now, Now, did you contribute to any of it or were you too young?
1: Oh, of course I contributed yeah. to it. What did oh, you are do? Are you kidding me? I was telling my my friends at school that my parents heard about Satan and he was out there and there was like devil worshipers and then you watch movies or you hear about it or you go to your friend's house and you know they've got a copy of a movie and as a kid you just make you make stuff up you're like yeah I saw a devil worshiper and he was wearing a black cloak and he was skulking around the neighborhood because that's what devil worshipers do they skulk around neighborhoods in dark cloaks.
0: And that's what you, you know, Yeah. And even in I mean, up until I so I am younger than you. So I wasn't a satanic panic. I wasn't a witness to it. But even in the late 90s, early 2000s, when I was 10, 11, 12, we would go my family. Uh, I'd go up camping to the local like army bunkers up there and we'd go and play in all the um you know, all the old cement tunnels and we would see. Um, you know, candles and pentagrams and everything. And we would just have we just were like, oh, my God, there's devil worshipers here. You know, it was just a total story that we told, too. And I would say, oh, my God, I bet they're devil worshipers. I bet they're devil worshipers. (laughs) You know, it's just a story that sticks around even even after the satanic panic as kind of like one of those archetypes of of
2: evil.
1: Yeah, for sure. And it sticks with you. You you build these things in your mind about what it looks like and what it means. And we fill in the blanks. And that's the the beauty of hysteria, is that it's ba- it, it can be based on so very little, but it's us we fill in the details we make it so much more gruesome than it ever was uh, in any form of of evidence. You know, that was that was to me when I became a counselor when I was in, in grad school for becoming a mental health counselor. Uh, I got an opportunity to work with children, and all of these kids were victims of of crimes, uh, and specifically sexual crimes. So, I'm dealing with children who are victims of rape as young as three. So, you know, doing that kind of work, I I thought about evil on a daily basis. This is you know when you when you work with children who are victims of of these horrible crimes. You really take a self-inventory about what do I think of as evil? Do I think of spiritual evil? Am I thinking about physical evil? And I know some might argue that there's a spiritual evil that leads to these crimes. But, you know, I, I just found people in general doing such bad things to other people that I was like, you know, if there is a devil, if there is a Satan, he's out of business. We, we beat him to the punch we're already doing enough evil crap to each other, to children, that, you know, anything he whispers in your ear is going to be like, you know, PG-13 compared to what most people are doing out there. So,
0: Well, and I mean, also compared to what adults can conjure up in moments of anxiety in their weird, twisted ass imaginations, as we saw, you know, with Michelle Remembers, even with Dr. Pasder and Michelle coming up with that. Just I mean, I didn't even get into some of the stuff It's just like mashed up kittens, just like, you know, blood smeared all over babies. And it's just like it's just like it is like a Pentecostal fever dream. You know, it's just this like absolute. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is this absolute extreme imagining of the worst things that you can.
1: And, And it kind of becomes like this weird. Perversion, I think within people when they start thinking of some of this stuff and it's like you said how far can you go how how crazy and twisted can the story become yeah and the real the real sad part of this is that these adults were looking to their children for validation validate this crazy story make me make make the world i live in way more exciting than what it really is Absolutely.
0: Because when you're living oh. in
1: a – yeah, you're living in a small town in New Mexico. You're the, – the most exciting thing that happens are Sundays after church when you can go to yard sales. That's the most exciting thing happening in your life. So having this fantasy of danger, of spiritual warfare, and you are on the front line of this fight –
0: yeah, you're like a hero in your story. You too. Cr-
1: yeah, you're the hero and you're you're protecting the children. This is cool to you as an adult because it gives you purpose, it gives you a sense of being of satisfaction. But these people got so wrapped up in it that they didn't think, "Wow, I'm dragging my kid down this disgusting hole." And as an adult, I can rationalize. I can, I can deal with a lot of the world and what it does to you. But a child has very little to no coping capability. They look to us for coping.
2: You ever notice how finding time and energy to do the most basic human necessity, eat literal food, has become just another exhausting task jammed into our increasingly inhuman schedules? Well your spring can be a little more stress-free with Factor. plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Check out Factor today.
0: So as a veteran, I'm interested in sort of your perspective because... I know that the original study of trauma, I didn't get into this in in the episode, came out of Vietnam and and sort of the uh, psychologists noticing these sets of symptoms that are now called PTSD for people who are coming back from combat. And then in that same time in the 70s with women's rights movements and um, victims rights movements, that that idea of trauma was then um, brought into the sexual assault sphere and became sort of a way that psychologists now um, treat patients who have these symptoms. So I'm just curious if your interest in trauma did come out of your experience as a veteran and uh, kind of how that brought you to wanting to study what you ended up
1: studying. Absolutely. I, I, trauma is, in, is one of the most fascinating topics uh, anybody can start exploring um it is at the forefront of today's zeitgeist if you will everybody talks about trauma PTSD is a huge thing i think the veteran i think these last uh you know uh 10 plus 15 plus years of war uh have really brought to the forefront the veterans PTSD but at the same time it really became a catalyst for trauma in general now we talk a lot about well what about childhood trauma what about sexual assault trauma what about um you know all there's there's different forms of trauma trauma is is like chocolate it comes in a lot of different forms and every single one is different it can look different it can taste different it it could have the different textures but it's still trauma when it comes to kids um yeah i became very interested in trauma as a as a veteran uh when i was doing my grad school experience uh I was trying to find a location that I could work with veterans uh, and and provide counseling. Unfortunately, where I lived, there was none. Nobody was, there was, the VA wouldn't take me because I was a mental health counselor, uh, not a psychologist in training. And just, I'm not gonna jump too far into this subject, but I will say that for a country that claims to have a a mental health care crisis, they don't act like it. Because the bureaucracy, the red tape to become a counselor is ridiculous and the pay is so low that you're probably going to make more money bagging groceries at some stores than you will as a master's level mental health counselor. So, yeah, it's it's disgusting. That's why I'm not a counselor anymore and I'm doing other things. I loved what I was doing but I can't pay the bills. It's, it's not economical.
0: It's such a shame because I can tell that you would be such a good counselor and I wish that you could counsel people. <laughs> well, and you had mentioned that you actually stud- studied the models of like Key McFarlane and the McMartin trial, the the techniques that were used during the satanic hysteria. And so what was that like?
1: So the place I worked at, we were I worked at a... Um, uh, it was a, it was called the Center for Crimes Against Children. So, the building was divided into two. On the on the left side was the counseling piece. On the right side was the police. And those detectives uh, were specially trained to deal with sexual assault cases involving minors. So we would often collect. Uh, we would talk to them about what. We were talking – what the children were experiencing or they would give us case files and give us insight about some of these guys. Some of these cops were actually the police that investigated that child that I'm talking to, their case. So going through grad school, it was huge. It was, it was pouted in your brain. You are not an investigator. You are a counselor. Don't go into these sessions asking the children to describe the details and, you know, trying to pick apart things. There are instances where the child doesn't know who hurt them. My job is not to go in there and find out who it was. That's the cop's job. Their job is to investigate. My job is to help the child through the trauma. Now, if in the process the child reveals an assumption – or I think it was my dad, or my uncle, or I. It was. I remember it was that person. Then I have an obligation to go talk to the police. You give it weight, but you don't assume that the child is correct. You investigate. You have to let the evidence speak for itself, and that's something that, you know, when we studied the, the cases of the Satanic Panic of the eighties, we studied uh, the, the, co the coercive, and corrosive relationship between counselors and police officers during that time period, you see where, you know, it was they were feeding each other. That's I mean, that's what happened. Um the police thought they were getting some great leads and the these counselors are really helping us break this thing apart. And these counselors feel like wow I'm really helping the police. I'm part of the system. I'm I'm like a cop. If you want to be a cop, go be a cop. But don't pretend to be one, and contribute to this hysteria. Contributing to ruining people's lives.
0: God, it's so upsetting. <laughs> it's just all so upsetting from every angle. Um, do you have anything else you want to talk about before we kind of wrap up?
1: No, I I will say that um, you know being an editor for this podcast has been uh, absolutely fantastic. And I would just want to thank all of our listeners for being the best fans ever. I, I love reading the comments. I love hearing uh people come up, you know, email me and like, wow, that was that was a powerful episode. That was really cool. Uh, I think satanic panic is it's gonna get you. <laughs> if you're listening to the if you're listening to the calm down before you actually listen to Satanic Panic Part two, you're in for a treat. Um you're not going to sleep well.
0: You're probably not going to sleep well. I <laughs> think that's definitely true. <laughs> okay, well, Rod, thank you. And uh, I mean, you make American hysteria what it is, absolutely. So thank you so much for all of your work and for talking to me and sharing all of your experiences. And uh, hail Satan, okay?
1: <laughs> hail Satan.
0: <laughs> From Skylark, this was American Hysteria's The Calm Down. This week, my guest was Rod Rodriguez. I'm your host, Chelsea Weber Smith. And this episode was produced by Clear Camo Studios. Join me next week for our episode on Phantom Clowns.